Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So video games drive me crazy. Now don't get me wrong, I grew up playing video games. You know, when when I was younger, they started coming out of me. I started with Nintendo and things like that. I'm not that young, but I'm not that old. I'm kind of that middle range, right? Remember, my generation grew up without the internet, and then as we were, you know, in high school, internet started coming along. So, I, you know, I know both worlds too, okay? But in our, um, excuse me, video games drive me crazy. I, I play sometimes. Sometimes I play with my friends, but nothing like I used to. Something about getting married and your wife saying you can't sit at home all night and play video games with your friends and ignore me. Something like that happened in my life. So, you know, I don't, I don't play much anymore, but my kids are so addicted to the games, they drive me absolutely crazy on how addictive they are and how much they want to play them. They want to play them over anything else and say, hey, y'all want to go to the beach? Nope. You want to go play? No, we'll just play games because we don't let them play during the week, so it's only the weekend. And so it's like, that's all they want to do in it. And it drives me crazy. But what drives me even more crazy is when my kids use my own logic against me. I was talking and I was going on a normal rant. I don't know if you have rants around the house. I do. I had my rant about video games. And Daniela looked at me and she goes, well, dad, she goes, when we play video games, we're sitting there playing video games, not going outside. But when you were sitting there watching TV, you're just sitting there not doing anything either. So dad, they're really no different. Within 10 seconds, I had some great arguments ready. I was ready to unload these sophisticated things that I knew she wouldn't be able to understand. And before it came out of my mouth, I looked at those brown eyes and realized I'm about to lie. (laughs) And so I just looked at her and said, well, you're right, but I'm dad. That's all I had. I had nothing else to say. But I realized, and you know this, it's easy to pick apart what other people are doing and not even pay attention to our own hypocrisy, right? For instance, I hear the thing about how kids today love to watch other people play video games, right? It's not that they play them, but they'll watch YouTube or Twitch or these other platforms. They'll watch someone else play video games. Y'all heard of that? And I hear people complain, say, "Why, why are my kids watching other people play games that they could just be playing? And then I think about Saturdays and Sundays where grown adults spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to go watch someone else play a sport they could play in their front yard. And I went, well, you're not throwing the football. Yeah, but it's different. I promise you there is, I've tried logically to think through it. It's the same thing. You watch them play sports, they watch them play video games. You're both sitting there watching someone else Well, live, aren't you? You're just watching them do it. Now, the reason I bring this up, because I started to get bothered a little bit this week, and of course, it's because of the passage we're looking at, but again, I was in one of my other rants about social media. Social media, video games, y'all ever fuss about those things? 
I must be getting old then. I guess that's what you do when you get older. Okay, so I started complaining about social media, and you know I don't like it um, for all sorts of reasons, but what really bothers me is the generation of people who are growing up who has a misunderstanding of what friends are. And they have a misunderstanding of what, what's really important, right? You can have thousands of friends or you can have thousands of views on social media. You can feel so great about these hundreds or thousands of people seeming to approve of you, but yet they don't really know them at all. In fact, they say the generation coming up right behind mine is the most connected generation ever, but also the loneliest generation ever. All these people labeled as their friends or their followers or their viewers just don't really know them at all. And everything you put out there on social media, the internet, you know it's not real. It's all fake. You only put your best foot forward. And what we realize, and you know this, but we got to think through it sometimes, is that everything that every view or every post or every picture, all of that Um, Excuse me, behind all of that lies a human being full of struggles, doubts, insecurities, fears, shame, but nobody knows that. All they know are these videos or pictures looking like they're having a ton of fun, but not realizing what's really going on in here. And then I thought, well, what about our churches? People gather together and wear their best clothes. They walk around with smiles. How you doing? Great. Their marriage is falling apart. Kids are falling apart. Going through so many struggles and fears and shame and dealing with the same things everybody else does. But when they come here, and I realize that like, gathering for church is a lot like social media. Nobody really knows us. They see us. We're showing up, and we're wearing our Sunday best, aren't we? Whoo, got that suit on today so I can talk about it. We got it on. But you don't know what's really going on in here. What I'm really dealing with, what I'm really worried about, the securities. And I thought about it, we call ourselves a community. We call ourselves a fellowship. We call ourselves a family of believers. But how well do we really know the people we're sitting next to? Well, other than our spouse or our kids. How well do we really know them? We have a sea of, pay, uh, sea of faces, just like social media. But people don't really know what's going on inside. It's so easy to pick apart other people's problems and not look at our own hypocrisy, isn't it, church? Watch this video real quick. There was this guy um, that came to my church once, and and he was a part of a gang, and uh, and decided to ditch everything and and follow Jesus, and he got baptized. And after a while, though, he stopped coming to the the church gatherings, and. And one of my buddies asked him, they go, hey, where you been? He he says, when I got baptized, he goes, I thought that it was going to be like when I got jumped into the gang. He goes, when I got jumped into my gang, he goes, suddenly everyone had my back. We became like a family 24-7. He says, so when I got baptized, I thought, 
this is what's going to happen with the Christians. He goes, I, I didn't know that it was just Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. He goes, I thought it was going to be family. So he goes, I, I just had it wrong in my head. And yet when I heard that, I thought, no, you got it right. We've got it wrong. And, and honestly, it was heartbreaking because I thought, the gangs are a better picture of family than the church is? The gangs are a better picture of the body than, than we are? They're having a fellowship and a sharing that we don't see in the church of Jesus Christ. And yet that's the very thing that Jesus wanted for us. I mean, think about that. Somebody comes, they were a part of a gang, they left all of that because they heard of the church, they heard of Jesus, they gave that all up to come be a part of the fellowship of believers to be disappointed because gang life has more connectiveness than the church. But how well do you know your brothers and sisters in Christ? What kind of relationships do you have with others? What I'm absolutely convinced of is as a church, we must be intentional, which means it's gonna take a lot of work and it's not gonna be easy, but we have to be intentional about developing authentic relationships with other believers. Because this is supposed to be the place, the safe place, this is supposed to be the one place in the world that no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you got going on, you can find community, you can find peace, you can find healing, and you can find friends. All because of Jesus Christ. All because the entry is the same way, because of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to peek behind the scenes and get to look at these type of relationships that, that the people had, the early church had with one another. Today we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians. If you've missed any of the other sermons, you could go online, you can catch up at any time. But today we're starting in um, chapter 2, verse 19. And one scholar wrote about these verses. Uh, we're not there yet, but one scholar wrote about these verses. Nobody's favorite verses are found in what we're about to read. This is the part of Philippians. If you've ever read it, you get through it. You're like, what is all this? It's Paul's travel itinerary. He tells them some things that he wants to do, some people he's sending. You're just dealing with this, this interesting thing. It's not really teaching. But what we do know is first, we get to see behind the scenes and, and remember that Paul and Timothy and these other people, they're real human beings. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? When we're reading this, these are real people. But number two, we get to see what it looks like. Um, we get to see examples of what it looks like for people to really live out the gospel. These are examples of what it looks like to be on mission for Jesus. All that other stuff he's already been talking about, this is what it looks like, the togetherness of one another. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. If not, it'll be back here on the screen. Let's start. Paul says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you, uh, to, to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. So Timothy is a co-worker of, of Paul. In fact, we have two um, letters in the Bible that Paul actually wrote to Timothy. Timothy's also mentioned in the book of Acts. He accompanies Paul on some of his missionary journeys. Timothy is a disciple of Paul. 
Paul is pouring his life into Timothy. He's investing him, training him. And, and Paul calls him, we'll see in a minute, he calls him a son in the faith. Like They are close together. Look at what he says about Timothy, verse 20. He says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. So what makes Timothy unique is his compassion for other people. He cares about the church. He cares about these people. And what we need to get clear about is that Timothy's concern isn't about a church building. When we think of church, quite often, what do we think about? A piece of property. We think of this place we go, but church literally means gathering. It's a gathering of people. So where you have God's people gathered, you have a what? A church. You mean in a coffee shop? Yup. You mean at a home? Yup. This is just a building. When the people of God come together, that is what makes the church. You see, this place is just a building. It's not a temple. It's just a simple building. It's a place we choose to gather to worship. But look at what it means to genuinely care for other people. Look at verse 21. He says, all the others care only for, say that with me. You ever just cared about yourselves, your motives, your desires, your wishes, your, what's that word? Preferences? You ever cared about your preferences? We've talked about that for a while now, haven't we? I know it's amazing what happens when we go through the Bible. But look what he says. He says, all the others care only about themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. All those other people just care about what they want, their things, their desires. But Timothy, Timothy cares for the same thing Jesus cares for. You see, Timothy is different because people are his priority. Timothy wants for people what Jesus wants for people. Remember, Jesus's mission is supposed to be our priority. Making and maturing followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to take care of. And what we have to remember as a body of believers is what matters to Jesus is people. Jesus died for people. God created human beings in his image. Remember, people are the valuable thing. That's what matters to Jesus, people. That we are making and maturing followers of Jesus Christ. And have you ever wondered that if what God sees happening at our churches, have you ever wondered if he's proud of it? Have you ever wondered if he could be upset about it? Have you ever considered that things that go inside of a church could be just downright offensive to him? Or do we think, well, of course he's happy. I came here on Sunday. Do you know I didn't sleep in, Brian? He should be grateful. Right? Do we think that he has anything to say about the things we spend our money on, the things the leadership talks about, the things we talk about when it comes to what we do as a people? Well, look at what some of the things he said in the past. Look at Amos chapter five, verse 21 through 23. He said this to Israel. He said, I hate, you're not supposed to say that in church, are you? It's the Bible, so we're allowed to say it. I hate all of your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. That would be what we're doing here. 
I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all the choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. You see, the people of God got together to do the religious things. But he says, I'm not accepting a single thing you guys are doing. You're just singing noisy hymns. You're just doing the religious stuff. I mean, you have the pulpit. You have the red carpet. You have the pews. You have everything to make it look religious. But your hearts, your worship, it's not right. I don't want anything to do with it. Look what he says in Malachi 1.10. He says, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors. That's strong, isn't it? How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. He says, I just wish you'd shut the place down. We think we gotta do whatever it takes to keep, keep the, the gatherings open. God's like, no, just shut it down, put a lock on it. It'll be better if it's not even there. What you're doing, not interested in. And we think, well, Brian, that, that's the Old Testament, that's the New Testament. Jesus is just love, Brian. He don't care about that stuff. And we fast forward to the book of Revelation, right? Look what he says to the churches. Look what Jesus says, Revelation 2, 4 through 5. He said, but I have this complaint against you. He's talking to the church. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. We're like, lampstand? Okay, what he's saying is, I'm gonna remove the thing that makes you a church, a church, I'm taking it away. You're not gonna be blessed anymore. The things, the gatherings, the, the my work in your midst, it's going to be done because their focus wasn't on God and others. As a church, you've been a part of churches before, is it possible to put other things above God and others? Is it possible to put traditions or preferences or things above actual human beings? Jesus has words to say about that. Think about your favorite aspect of church and imagine if you loved God and people more than that, what would happen? A little uncomfortable, right? He tells another church, he says this in verse 16. He says, repent of your sins or I'll come to you and suddenly fight against them. A them, that's people within the church just to let you know. He says, I will come to you and suddenly fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What you're allowing and what you're doing, this is a different church. He said, I'm gonna come and fight you myself. Who do you think is gonna win? That's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Do you remember what he tells the other church, the one at Laodicea? Remember, he says, you're lukewarm and I just want to vomit you out of my mouth. What we do matters. What we focus on matters. As a body of believers, as Christians, or if you're trying to understand what Christians do, you're exploring the faith, here's what we must do. We should show the world what it looks like to love God and love others. Like that is the thing we are here to do. 
to love God with our entire being and to love other human beings. Going back to the verse, verse 21, remember what he says? He said, all others only care for themselves, not for what matters to Jesus Christ. What matters to Jesus must matter to us. Jesus cares about how the body of believers are intentionally coming together. And if they're focused on making and maturing and investing into other people for the glory of God. How can Paul say this about Timothy? He's not done. Verse 22. He says, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. That is the gospel. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that myself will come and see you soon. You see, Timothy was being discipled by Paul. He was hand in hand living out the gospel with Paul. Paul was investing in him. Paul was teaching him. And now Paul was ready to send Timothy out to go do his good work to continue carrying the torch. He's saying, now, Timothy, it's your turn to go make and mature disciples. So Paul wants to send him Timothy. And next up, we see Epaphroditus. Look at this. It's another guy. Verse 25. He says, meanwhile... I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. And he was, and he was your message to, to help me in my need. So this church sent this man to Paul to deliver the gift they collected for Paul and to serve Paul. While Paul's locked up, he needs people to, to help him, and that's what this man was sent to do. But look at what Paul calls him, and I want to ask you as we go through these words, can you pick another person in this church that's not a family member that you can talk about like this? I want to ask you this. Do you have a true brother or sister in the faith, a family member? And while we usually use the term, and today we'll call people brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know why we do that primarily? Because we forgot their name. Don't lie. It happens, we're like, hey, br brother, yes, brother, yeah, uh-huh. Back then they used it because they saw themselves as a family unit. They saw themselves as belonging to the king, that because of Jesus Christ, because of his death and resurrection, that they've been born again, they've been adopted into the family of God, and that they really were family. Like, like for real family. Who took care of, care of each other and looked after each other. So he said he's a true brother. And then he said he's a co-worker. And I love that because we have the apostle Paul calling this other man who's just a servant, just, just got sent over, like meeting his needs. He's kind of this messenger person. And Paul's like, hey, he's a co-worker. We have the apostle Paul who's supposed to be up here. Paul doesn't say he's my employee. See, what Paul realizes and what we definitely believe is that all of us are on equal footing. That we all have gifts and we all have talents. That nobody's above anyone, but we're co-workers together. There, there's nobody's gift is more important. Just because one of my gifts is teaching doesn't mean it's more important than anybody else's gift. We're all in equal footing. Let me ask you, do you have a co-worker? Do you have someone that, that you're working with here that you're like, yeah, I call them and we're knocking this thing out together. Like, like we're in partnership for the gospel. Church, our culture, and I, and I love our country. You guys know that. But individualism is not a Christian thing, it's an American thing. And we have to deal with it. It goes against the gospel and the church. Individualism says, individualism says, I can do this. The gospel says, you're broken and you can't and you need Jesus. 
The very beginning of the gospel smacks our culture in its face. It says you can't do it alone. You're not supposed to do it alone. And those of you who are doing it alone, you're wrong. We need each other. It's not a Christian thing. That's an American thing. So they have coworkers. And look at this next part. It says, my fellow soldier. Now, my wife and I, we just finished Band of Brothers last night. And yes, I have a wife who likes watching war movies. Isn't that cool? Like that was a prerequisite. Here's, here's what she liked, roller skating. And she would watch any movie with me, prerequisite. And I was like, this is my soulmate. Like those are the, the two things I need. Actually, don't tell anybody, I'll never admit this again. Yep, she's here, never admit this again. Like on our third date when she beat me in foosball and I was actually trying, I was like, this is it? I'm gonna marry her. Y'all didn't have bars for when you were dating? Foosball, roller skating, and movies, those were mine, okay? That's where we're at. But listen, we were watching Band of Brothers last night and watching what a fellow soldier means, right? Watching the bond that happens when people come together, that, that bond from people really suffering together, struggling together, fighting together. Folks, that should describe your life and mission for Jesus Christ. Well, I went to church this week. No, that's not it. Mm-mm. Should be something more. Giving your life to this mission, giving your life for the glory of God, saying, I'm gonna bond and I'm gonna come together with these other peoples and we're gonna fight this out. We're gonna reach people, we're gonna make disciples, we're gonna get in the trenches with this other people and, and do this thing together. You see, these are gospel driven relationships. They're formed out of the faith and their bond is fortified by the mission of Jesus Christ. And we're coming together to do this thing. Can you say that about people here, folks? Like for real. He continues, verse 26. He says, I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. Listen to this, it's interesting. He says, I'm sending him to you. So I'm sending him back because he is longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So Paul is sending him back because he's distressed because they found out that he was sick and they were worried. So they're worried about him, hold on. So he's worried about them worrying and Paul's worried about them worrying. So Paul's gonna send, you catch all that? I know, it's right there. So Paul's gonna send them back, send them back saying, here, go back home, let them know you're doing okay. These people, folks, truly care about each other. Like they are truly caring for each other. He literally risked his life to take Paul some money to take care of Paul's needs. Verse 28, he says, so I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you for I know that you will be glad to see him and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve for he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. This man was a servant of Christ, this other example, risking his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ to serve other people who are working in the field. And Paul says he deserves honor for what he's doing. He's doing a great job. 
The takeaway I want us to take from this passage, because it's just a travel itinerary, it's kind of hard to work through. There's no theology really listed there. But what I want us to take away is these intentional gospel-driven relationships we see. And I want us to be honest that do we have those type of relationships with other people in our church? Do we have people that are investing in us and are we investing with other people? Let me ask you, do you have a son in the faith, someone that you are pouring your life into? Someone that you're helping grow? Do you have a brother in the faith, someone who's sharpening your life, helping you for the good? You see, folks, we live in the most connected time the world has ever seen and people are downright lonely. They don't have real relationships. And we have to develop intentional, authentic, gospel-filled relationship as a body of believers. Because we need each other. You've heard this before. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you have that in your life? As humans and as Christians, we need other people. We need people who care for us. We need other people to keep us accountable. We need other people we can confess our sins to. We need true discipling relationships. And as a church, I strongly believe that we need to be more intentional about these type of relationships. So I have an idea. You wouldn't have guessed that, would you have? With all that build up, you knew I was going somewhere, don't you? I've been here too long. You can see through me. Here's what I want us all to be a part of. They're called life transformation groups. Next slide. Yep, life transformation groups. You can write this down, take notes. I'm gonna be sending out a lot of emails about this. And yes, Rocky will be calling each one of you, checking in on you, making sure you're part of one. Ain't that right, Rocky? He just got back from vacation just now hearing about it. But he'll do it, don't worry. Because here's why. Folks, Sunday mornings are not enough. I am a fan of the Sunday morning class model, whether we want to call them Sunday school or some of you have more small group formats. I mean, I think it's great because personally, I am busy all week. Anybody else busy? Yeah, I'm busy. I have kids. They play sports. I get it. And so I like the Sunday morning model. I can gather together the Sunday school class. I can meet with some people. It's a great time. And that model works perfectly for people who are new to the church. They can kind of check out a class. It's like an introductory to Christian community. You get to meet people, talk to people, pray with other Christians. I mean, I believe every single one of us should be a part of a Sunday school or small group class. You said, Brian, all of us? Yeah, all of us, me too. When I first got here, it's one of the first things I talked to our staff with. Every one of us has to be a part of a class. We're going to lead the way. We're not going to just tell people they need to be a part of it. We need to be a part of it. And I think every person here needs to be a part of a Sunday school small group type of class where you're partnering together with other people. But it's not enough just to meet in a large group of people. Because how honest are you if you have a bunch of new visitors and then every other week people can't come because they're busy, right? It's not the same group of people every week. How honest can you get in a group of, with people like that? It's kind of hard, isn't it? You, can't, you don't really want to just let your, your heart out. You just don't want to share with people what's going on in your life. So that's what this life transformation group is all about. 
It's a group where two or three people gather together, um, same gender, get together weekly to spend one hour together. Now, how easy is it to get for you to get together with 15 other people and coordinate schedules right now? All right, it's hard. How easy is it to get together with one or two other people? It's a lot easier, isn't it? So if Jessica's gonna go meet with her group, I can watch the kids. If I go meet with my group, she can watch the kids. I mean, because it's gender-specific groups, right? So it's so much easier to work through this. But here's what the groups do. This is so simple. You can write this down, but you're gonna get plenty of emails about it too. You're gonna meet together for an hour to do a couple of things. Here's what it is. You're gonna first hear and obey the scriptures. What each group does is they're gonna read scriptures and then come together to kind of discuss it. Next up, they're gonna repent and believe. You're gonna come together and confess sin. Like, doesn't that fire you up that you get to go tell other people the junk you did that week? You're like, I don't wanna tell anybody. I know me neither, we'll get to that. And then number three, you're gonna get together to do this. Consider and pray. You're gonna pray for people who don't know Jesus and you're gonna pray that the gospel will affect their lives. That's it. First up, you're gonna gather together um, around scripture because God's word is powerful. I don't need to tell you this, you probably know, but for 2,000 years, God's word has been changing lives. It's a pretty good track record, isn't it? Like 2,000 years, it has been changing lives. And so each week, the group, two or three people are gonna decide what they wanna read. And the recommended reading, check this, 25 to 30 chapters a week. That's three and a half chapters a day. It's actually not that much. It sounds like a lot, right? We're about to figure out how much we really don't read our Bibles, what this does. But you gather together and say, okay, we're gonna read 25 to 30 chapters a week. So if you pick like the book of Ephesians, you'll read it five times that week. If you pick Romans, you may read it twice. So you pick a large portion of scripture and you come together and one of the first things you do when you meet together says, did you do your reading? Say, yeah, I did my reading. Did you do your reading? They say, no, I didn't do my reading. Guess what the group has to do that next week? Reread it. So if you don't come and do your homework, you're gonna make everybody else have to reread it. And they say, study show, check this out, it's hilarious. This is why it says repeatedly. They say that study shows it takes about four weeks for a group to actually read it all. So we'll probably be in the same section for about a month. We'll know Ephesians by then, won't we? Read it that many times? So you get together to talk, um, to hold each other accountable for God's word. And next up, you get together to confess sin. Remember this, James 5.16 says this. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Folks, Christians need each other. Me and you, we need to continually repent and believe. What that means is we need to go ahead and tell other people, here's what I'm struggling with, here's the sin I've done, I need to believe to trust Jesus in this, and now my friends are gonna hold me accountable for that sin. And I know that's difficult, but it's much needed. I got a pastor friend I do this with, and I hate it. It's embarrassing. But do you know what happens when you get it out there in the light? Do you know what happens when you stop hiding in darkness with your sin? It's exposed. And God works through that, folks. Did you know that's like a biblical thing? Look at this, John 3, 19 says this. 
It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved what? Yeah, darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil, right? We want to keep it to ourselves. We don't want to tell anybody because we know it's what? It's evil. We don't want to tell anybody about that. But everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for the fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In other words, we should expose our sin. We should let Jesus deal with our sin. We should bring this into light and let it be dealt with and exposed and something powerful happens. We just tell other people, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I've done. Here's here's what's going on. Hold me accountable for it this week. If we keep sin hidden, it's a recipe for disaster. How many of your deepest regrets, fears, and shame could you have avoided if earlier, before it got out of control, if you would have exposed that sin to somebody else who could have kept you accountable, who could have known about it, who could have said, no, 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 let's deal with this. So we let it go on. And listen, I get it. I don't want to tell anybody else what's going on in my life either. But do you know what that's called? It's called pride. And it's sin. So we just say, look, I'm, I'm going to confess and I'm going to let other people know what's going on in my life. Let's deal with it. And then lastly, souls are prayed for specifically and regularly. And what this is, is each person in the group identifies two or three people that need the gospel. We say, we know these people don't know Jesus. We we don't believe they're saved. So we're gonna intentionally pray and the group will intentionally pray for those people all week. Imagine if you had other people praying for your spouse or paying for your brother or your sister or your aunt or your uncle, that coworker, if y'all are intentionally praying that the gospel would get to that person. And if you were intentionally praying for their salvation and that you would be used to speak to them about Jesus. And that's it. You come together to hear and obey. You talk about, here's what I've read in the Bible this week. Here's what God's gonna do through that. You come together to confess and repent. And you come together to pray and consider people who need Jesus. And these groups are very intentional. There are no leaders. There are no curriculum. There are no workbook. It's the Bible and you. And what this means is when you take together God's word with God's spirit, with God's people, folks, when you get God's word, God's spirit, and God's people together doing these kind of things, your life will be transformed because it's been happening for thousands of years. The problem for us in America is we want to be by ourselves. We don't want others. We do our own thing our own way. But we need each other. And I get the initial pushback. I know it's scary. I know we were taught to pretend everything's okay, to not let people in on our deep, dark dark secrets. I completely understand that. But listen real quick. We're almost done. Jesus had people he was pouring his life into. Paul and John were, uh, Peter and John were two peas in a pod. Look through the Bible, how often they're together. Barnabas raised up Paul. Then we see Paul have Timothy. Timothy. I mean, if Peter and John, Paul and Barnabas, if these people needed these type of relationships, I mean, how much more do we? And so I want us to be intentional about this because God works in the context of community. Community. 
And just imagine with me for a minute if we did this. Imagine if you and me and us, we together with other people, we were regularly reading God's word. I mean, like, like actually reading God's word. And if you can't read, listen to it on audio Bible. There's plenty of devices out there. Either way, what if we were all intentionally just consuming large quantities of scripture each week? saying we're gonna live into this thing. Imagine the intimacy with God you would have by, by knowing him and, and then talking to him because we believe intimacy with God is the number one priority for every Christian. It's for you to know him. But imagine if, if you and those you loved would be regularly confessing their sins and being held accountable for their sins and saying, look, pray with me, help me. I don't wanna be in this anymore. I need you to help me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to hold me accountable. Imagine the life change if we would just expose that junk in our life. And then imagine if our church were serious about reaching people with the gospel. We were naming the people. We were praying for the people because we really believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer. Imagine with me what would happen I believe we'd become a Bible-based, grace-filled, gospel-driven church. I believe it needs to be something much more than something we put on a billboard. It needs to be something that we're actively living to make and mature followers of Jesus Christ. And I know it's going to be scary, but I promise you we can do it. Because the church has been doing it for thousands of years. And God wants you to be a part of something like that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for just seeing the lives of, of the disciples and the apostles and the togetherness they had. And, and Lord, we pray for our church. We pray for every person here that they will be intentional, intentional about connecting with other people in these life transformation groups. Lord, we pray that you'd put two, one or two people in their heart that they can start gathering with weekly to gather around your word to repent and to pray. Father, we know that worship is an amazing thing that you've designed for us to do. We knew Sunday school and small group formats are great for us to build community and learn. But Father, what's missing is those intentional smaller group pieces. So Father, I pray that you put a burden on our hearts, on our hearts to carry this through, to take it serious. And I pray for the ministries of our church as we start helping people connect with one another. Lord, we believe you're going to use that in a mighty way for your glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.